Career Conversations is brought to you by the University of Washington Alumni Association. 60,000 Huskies strong, our members share a passion for the purple and gold. Share your pride, get involved, and help support our students. Join the UWAA. Go to uwalum.com today. A lot of the time, the job that we want and are passionate about can seem too risky to pursue, especially when we have people in our lives cautioning us to be pragmatic. But what about happiness and personal fulfillment? Can't these also be measures of success? Artist, designer, and small business owner Stacey Wen discusses what it was like for her to make a bunch of quote-unquote bad career decisions. Welcome to Career Conversations, an audio series created by the UW Alumni Association for the UW Alumni Community. Here we meet with leaders and experts for in-depth career discussions you won't find anywhere else. I'm Nidhi Kumar, and I'll be your host for this episode. I'm a proud UW alum who graduated in 2021 from the University of Washington School of Law. I'm an active member of the UW alumni community, a current member of the UWAA's Gold Council, and I'm thrilled to introduce my next guest for this conversation, Stacey Wen. Stacey is an artist and visual designer who owns Stacey Wen Creative because, according to her, she isn't qualified to do much else and kind of has an inability to start working before 10 a.m. She's a reformed straight A student and a recovering super shy quiet person. And my parents aren't that impressed with me. What does it mean that your parents aren't that impressed with you? Um, you know, I'm Vietnamese American and I think, and they're Vietnamese American refugees. So because they kind of came to this country in very turbulent and like dramatic, traumatic circumstances, um, like many immigrant parents of that generation, they 100% wanted me to be a doctor. Yeah. And so did having parental approval approval matter to you? Um, it most definitely did. I, especially when I was younger, I think this is something that I've been like curing myself or trying to, um, I guess it's a really strong word, but quote unquote heal from ever since I was my younger days. Um, when, you know, we're little, I was very much like a lot of people where I just wanted to please my parents and make my parents really, really proud of me. It's still super duper important. But like what I've learned as I've kind of, you know, gone through life is like sometimes like the two paths diverge, right? Whatever your parents, what, what would make them happy about your security and your career might not be aligned with what you're wanting with your own career and your what may, brings you happiness, I think, like, for instance, I'm more risk tolerant with my career than my parents are. They would rather I just, like, work at a job that, you know, cannot fire me. Um, And I would love the constant risk of being fired because of my incompetence. (laughs) I I can definitely relate to that as well, because um, coming from India, my parents also had a very similar view on, on life and education and careers. And, you know, for them, what worked was what brought them to the country, which was a safe, steady job. And so for them, they're like, okay, to, to stay in this country and to stay successful in this country, um, what would work for you is also a safe, steady job, which to them was only being a doctor. Um, so I can definitely relate to that feeling. It's so um, interesting, like why, like, oh, I mean, cross-culturally, doctor is the job. There's like a lot of steady jobs out there, right? But it would sometimes, I think like also like obviously doctor comes with prestige and that also matters in my culture very much. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, and I think even like law and engineering are, are right up there in most people's eyes. But for my parents, it was like just medicine. <laughs> that was the only thing. Yeah, it was like um, medicine or bus because you are studying law right now, right? Exactly. And that's still <laughs> not the right path. That's not the safe path, I guess. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think with, with me, yeah, my parents definitely wanted me to be a doctor, but then they kept lowering the bar. Like once I showed that not only did I not have like the amazing kind of interest or aptitude for it um, and the perseverance, they were just kind of like, OK, well, let me try engineering because my mom studied mechanical engineering, got a degree that there. And so that was also her passion. She's like, I get engineering. You can be an engineer. And then I was like, I don't think so, man. Like engineering is like boring. I mean, no offense to all the engineers out there is boring to me. Uh, and then she was like, maybe a pharmacist. And I even had a stint where I was like a pharmacy technician during college you know, just to appease my mom, you know, just to give her like that one bit of hope. But then long story short, at the end, I became like an artist and um, a creative person. And for a while there, it was like their nightmare. They were like, oh my God, like just a couple notches above reality TV star. That's so funny. Um, How how did you get the nerve to rebel? Um, Honestly, like I think with every act of bravery in my life, it was not intentional because I don't think I'm a brave person. You know, whenever you do those personality tests, like the Harry Potter personality test, I'm never like Gryffindor, never known for bravery. Like I'm mostly like kind of like maybe a Slytherin or Ravenclaw, but mostly Slytherin for my cowardice. Anyway, I'm going on a tangent. The point is, like, it was never, like, an intentional, like, concerted moment where I'm just like, okay, I'm going to break my parents' hearts right now. It was more like, I love drawing so much. But, and then I would always negotiate, like, I could do it on the side. Maybe I can minor in it. By the way, I couldn't minor on it in it because, um... It was just really, really difficult to get into art classes if that wasn't your major. So I would just do it on the side as a passion project. I would do it for my friends. You know, every time someone needed a website, I was like, I could probably cobble together a website for you. And then gradually, I just watched a lot of YouTube video and like, you know, found found opportunities to do that. And then it just became a full force thing. So it happened unwittingly, organically and naturally. And um, yeah, just snuck up on me. Yeah. And so you didn't get there right away, though. You didn't um, just become an artist and become a business owner right away. That was like, um, mm-hmm. could you go around like the path? Yeah, it actually took me like, it w- I think it was only maybe two years ago that I had the nerve to call myself an artist. Um, because I like, I like just had so much like, s- stigma associated with it because of my folks and my upbringing you know um it felt like an artist needed to be someone who was like putting art in a gallery like someone fancy like very western very elitist like definition of it and so for the longest time I wanted to make my like career sound like valuable or like logistical so that it would kind of appease or like kind of fit into what my parents were wanting for me kind of like make make it more engineering so yeah, but so because of that, I went on a lot of journeys. I was like, I was in news for it a little bit. I was a journalist because you know I loved writing. I loved the artistic stuff. I love expression. But I was like, let's be practical. You know, you write for a newspaper and inform people. Um, and so I did that for a while. But then I found that I, I kind of wanted to put myself in the news, right? Or not put myself in the news like I'm like murdering people or like causing newsworthy activities. I mean, like, more like I wanted to, you know, be biased, be like, this is my opinion, this is my hot take, but you're not supposed to do that in news, it's supposed to be very unbiased. 
And so because of that, I just kind of gradually shifted my career. And I was like, well, maybe I'll try marketing in a corporation. Uh, spoiler, that was terrible. I mean, it was good. I learned a lot, but it was just like not very much values aligned with what I wanted to do. Because not only was it about self-expression, it was also about like racial equity and like justice. And, you know, you at the time, you just didn't have, you had limited opportunities of that in like the corporate space. So it was just like over time, just me like ruling out things that I didn't want to do. I was like, well, I'm not, I tried, didn't, that didn't click. And then eventually, you know, I got laid off. And then that was the, a boon to my career and my life. Um, you know, when you're laid off, uh, anything goes, you're just kind of like, well, you know what? I've lost face. Um, I'm not really doing anything that's really pride worthy for my parents. Um, they're embarrassed and uh, really can't uh, go further down. So let's just try this out. And so that was like a great space for like experimentation. And I started my career during that moment. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I can definitely relate to, um, you know, the negotiation of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do something that's not medicine. I'm going to do something that's not exactly what you want, but I'm going to try to relate it to something that you want. So it like kind of like puts a ribbon on, you know, the hurt that I'm causing you by not going on that path. And so like when I first started in law, I was like, maybe I could do like medical malpractice. And that's kind of related to medicine. Maybe we can pretend I'm like in medicine. So I definitely relate to that. I love that. Well, obviously, that's not the direction you uh, ended up going down. So tell me, like, what made you, uh, like, you know, eventually let that go? It's like, oh, maybe medical malpractice is not my thing. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, what it really was, was just um, coming to terms with reality, both for myself and making my parents aware of that. So I am actually, like, really scared of blood. Like, I pass out at the sight of blood. And I was kind of just telling my dad, like, do you really want me to be your doctor? Like, you know, would you want someone like me to be your doctor? And he was like, yeah, of course. Like, oh my you're, gosh. Very, you're very driven. I'm like, dad, I wouldn't be able to help you with like a cut, let alone like a surgery and an intensive process like that. And so just over time, kind of like how you were saying, I just wore him down of like one disappointment after the other, one conversation after the other, where I'm kind of showing him that like, this isn't practical. And when that thought sort of landed in his head. That's when it started to be more clear for me that like, yeah, I really, I'm not only convincing him, I'm also teaching myself. This is not possible for me. And so I just kept going further and further away from medical malpractice and away from medicine and, and further and further into the area of law that, you know, I, I'm in today and that I'm really passionate about. So, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. And what area is that? Can you remind me? Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of in like the contract space torts. So um, I work with like personal injury cases, wrongful death cases, stuff like that. It's, it has nothing to do with medicine. It's probably the furthest, the furthest evolved, but Good yeah. for you. That's Thank awesome. You. Yeah, I did this a similar kind of thing. It's really funny how like the, the, the kind of psychology that you bring because you're just maybe just like you're just desperate. You're like, I don't know how else to really explain it because sometimes verbally is not enough. And sometimes it's actually just hard to speak up against your parents. So I would just like do things like just act really bad at math, you know. My parents would be like, you can do this. You, it's never too late to get your master's in engineering. And I'd be like, 100% is too late. And then I'll just do something in front of them where it's like, I can't even like add two and four together. I'm like, I, like, I struggle and I have to count my fingers. And I'm like, you see? You see? I cannot be an engineer. Do you want me to be building airplanes? Yeah, I can't be trusted. <laughs> yeah. So, so funny. 
Um, so you sort of talked about, um, you know, not, you know, seeking out, getting over seeking out like external validation. Could yeah. you talk more about kind of like what feelings you were going through when you were working through that process and, you know, how you were feeling and how that impacted sort of the world around you? Yeah, I found that, you know, external external validation means less and less to me as I get older. And a lot of that is just me working on like myself and just me being happy with myself and working on my own self-confidence, you know. So when you're happy with what you're doing, when you're happy with like what you're creating and what you're producing and the work that you're putting out into the world, then the your peanut gallery, whether it be your parents, your community, your friends, that matters way less. So I think like, yeah, that my biggest advice to anybody who would be like, hey, I really get like just decimated by feedback. Like, how do I get better at that? My advice is always to be like, hey, you need to, first of all, really, really explore and understand your work and be really, really good at it. Because, you know, when you're really good at it and competent, you naturally get like the self-confidence in it and then just be protective of it and then just build self-confidence around it. You know, be protective of yourself. You know, you're your best like ally, you're your best advocate. And once you kind of develop your own style point of view, then you just like hold that tight and be like, that's my thing. Um, And then also I alluded to this before, but depression helped a lot And I said that flippantly, but I I mostly mean like, you know, when you are kind of like have less to lose, because I know that like sometimes when we're making like a really high salary and we have a nice job that has like a nice title, it's really hard to walk away from that. And it's really hard to kind of just like like being in a kind of like a kind of a toxic relationship It's hard to walk away from that because there's so many good things about it. Right. You're like, oh, I love these perks. But so for me, that decision was like out of my hands because it laid me off due to just downsizing. And then it made me realize like, whoa, dude, I'm super expendable. And then now and then also, you know, my sense of self just like plummeted in like an instant. I was just like, whoa, if I'm not working, because that's how my parents trained me. If I'm not working and if I'm not producing something, I'm just sitting on my ass. Like, who am I? I'm a waste of space. And I know that's really like untoxic like mindset, but that was my mindset um, when I was like laid off. And so I just sat around just being really sad and being really down on myself. And then because of that, I was really fatalistic. Um, and, I, and I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. I'm never going to get a job because I hate working. And I'm just going to sit here and collect unemployment and then just be sad and it was actually really nice because I think like a lot of times we don't allow ourselves to be sad, you know, we just kind of like we keep on going, we keep on working, we find that next job to like just blanket over our feelings. But because I had that moment where I just couldn't move forward, I just let myself be sad. And then in that vast sadness, that was yeah when I made the decision, like, yo, I don't think I want to work anymore. I'm doing air quotes, like work like a real job. I don't think I want to work at like a big corporation. I don't think I really want to work for Boeing like my mom wants me to. Uh, I don't think I want to work for the city of Kirkland like my dad wants me to. I just think I just want to like maybe just get by just enough. And, you know, I was at this time I was already like doing side projects, like building websites for my friends. And so I was, I was like, okay, how many websites or logos do I need to do to in order just to pay my mortgage, right? Um, and I figured out the number, the number was like 30,000. And so at the time it was, it was totally manageable. I know that people can't live off 30,000 now, but at the time it was possible. 
And so I was like, okay, so 30,000, if I can book like, uh, okay, so you're seeing me be bad at math. If I can book, what is it? Like $3,000 a month, then I can hit that goal. And I was sitting that, that was it. I was just being sad and building websites. And then, and uh, I felt like I was scamming people and it worked. I've been scamming people for like eight years and they still don't know. I love that. <laughs> um, but how, how did sort of your parents feel during, during that first year where you're living off of that 30K and you're kind of making things happen for yourself in that time? It was really hard. Um, they were really um, scared for me. I can see that. I can say that in hindsight. At the time, it didn't feel like they were scared because they were not like, we're so concerned for you. They were like, you're an idiot. What are you doing? Um, you're ruining your life. You can never come back from this. It was super traumatic and it stressed me out. So there was a period of time where I was hiding from them because I didn't want their blazing hot takes anymore. Um, and they would constantly send me like job opportunities, even stuff that I wasn't even qualified for uh, and stuff that wasn't in my interest. And they would just say things that made me sad. They would be like, hey, this job only needs a degree. I think you can do this one. You know, their bar was just like, low and because I'm just like an artsy person you know I was just very dramatic about it It was like but what about purpose like what about like you know what I am passionate about and then they they just like they were not interested in that whatsoever um so it was really stressful yeah I I can definitely relate to that as well um I think when I was kind of going through my own version of um and I don't want to call it failure but it it is failure and I don't think that's yeah, such a negative thing. But um, I, I kept thinking that it was like something that was going to pass, like just organically, it would just not be such a failure anymore. I would not be such a failure anymore. And things would just naturally get better. And so I just kept pretending. And I just I never told my friends, I never told my family that I was just doing so bad at everything that I was doing, because I was trying to access spaces where I didn't have any knowledge, I didn't have any connections, I didn't have any understanding. And I was never really empowered to seek out any understandings because I was always like, instead of learning about the law, instead of networking with lawyers, instead of being in those spaces, I was in um, club med and I was taking pre-med classes and I was taking AP bio and failing so badly. And so um, when I finally got to college, I was like, okay, I I know I want to do law. I know that I can't tell my parents that I want to do law. I know I can't let them find out that I'm doing law. And it was like this whole, like I was hiding my identity. And so, yeah, I just, it got to the point of, you know, I kept faking it and I kept faking it. And then I was like, wow, this is so bad. Like I can't keep just doing this and going down this path and not asking for help. And so sort of what you were saying of, you know, doing projects for friends and, and, and doing things like that, like that really kind of helped you um, move forward. I think, you know, I definitely relate to um, just asking for help and, and, and putting myself out there and accepting the fact that I wasn't doing so great at what I was doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I can totally relate. Um, when I was in college, there was like probably two quarters where I 100% flunked out of school. I had to withdraw or else my GPA was going to plummet super hard. And you know, my parents were the kind of parents who were like, Oh, I need to see your GPA. If we're paying for this. We need to see your GPA. So to save my GPA, I would just drop out for a quarter and then not tell them I would pretend that I was going to school. And then I would just go be depressed and like a failure somewhere else. Sometimes I would just go, I would work a shift at, you know, the pharmacy because I was like, you know, still deluding them and myself. And it was like, 
yeah, I look back on it. I'm like, I actually feel like very, very like nostalgic, but in a, like a, my heart pangs for that version of myself. I just want to give her a hug and be like, dude, you don't have to do this, you know? And it would take me a little bit. It would take me maybe like another eight years or so for me to be better at being like, Hey, I am sucking right now and uh, I need help. And so that's what happened after I was laid off, even though I was like, I, I felt like I was a failure and I was being really dramatic about it. I also, you know, looked at my networks because I need to make that $3,000 a month, right? And I look at my networks and I tell my friends, it's like, hey, I'm not working right now. I lost my job due to incompetence. Would you like me to build you a website though? And uh, people were amazing. You know, that's the thing. Like when you ask for help from your community, oftentimes, nearly all the time, they will help you, Right. A lot of times the hardest thing is like asking for help. So once I put it out there, it's just like, hey, Stacy needs work. People would be like, oh, I have a friend that might need something. I, you know, and then that's how it kind of started, you know, snowballing. Yeah. So the, the first and the second time that, you know, I went through something like this, very starkly different. And the difference was asking for help. Yeah. And, uh, and that's awesome. I'm so glad that, you know, asking for help from your community was something that really gave you the power to keep going. Um, but can I ask, did that ever reflect in your parents? Did it ever, did they ever get on board? And if they did kind of when, when in your process did that happen? It never really like, there wasn't a moment that like clicked for them where they're like, Oh my gosh, she's okay. It was definitely gradual. So at the very beginning of it, it was like really hard on them. And they were like, you're a disappointment to us. Um, and then gradually over time, it would usually happen when there were other people around because, you know, the face saving is strong in our culture. So my aunt or uncle would be like, how is like Stacy doing? And my parents would be like, yeah, okay. You know, and then gradually that okay would be like, she's doing good. You know, she's like making websites and stuff. She's fine. Um, and it took like maybe like three years to get to that point. And so um, I think it like like a lot of things, it just takes them time to accept who you are. Um, and it also helped that every now and then, like as I became more and more known in my business and like more and more known in the Vietnamese community, like people that they know, Vietnamese, the people that they know would be like, oh, I saw your daughter's work. And that gave them a chance to like, you know, flex because it's like, oh, it's, you know, it's so important in our community to like have that like kind of esteem, like that recognition. So, yeah. So nowadays they um, they're down with it. They were totally down with my job. And um, I think they worry about like small little things like, dude, are you saving for your retirement? Do you have health insurance? And yeah, yes to both of those things. But um, yeah, they're very much in the mindset where you need like a pension and a job to take care of you. And they're not necessarily as aware that you can just like sign up for a, you know, Roth IRA, you know, on the market. Yeah, I think that's um, a really compelling point because a lot of people in our culture um, have this feeling as well of, you know, I want to do something different or simply I can't do what the expectation is that comes from my family and comes from my parents. But we also have it in us where we don't want to break away from our family. We don't want to just say, no, I'm not doing this. Bye. I, I'm I'm refusing this. So it, it is important for you. It was important for me as well. It's important for most of us. Um, for our parents to come around and for our parents to see kind of what we do with our lives and, and have some importance in that. So I'm so glad that that happened for you. Mm -hmm. And I think like what also helped me is honestly understanding where they were coming from too and empathizing with them. Cause it's like their experiences were honestly unimaginable to someone who's like second generation who grew up very cush. Right. I get the luxury of having an existential crisis where I'm like, Oh no, I am. They never got to have that because their life was just survival. Right. 
from the moment they were born, there was already a war going on and then they escaped their country and it was just like trauma, trauma, trauma. And then it was all about living and surviving and getting by and working immensely hard. And so that's all they know. And so I totally get it. So from their vantage point, they were just like, we worked so freaking hard. Um, and this one has so much potential, but look at what she's doing. She's just fucking sitting around like a bum and then just crying and like being self-indulgent. And like, you know, when I put myself into that headspace, I'm like, yo, I get it. That's hard on them too. Um, it's very like nerve wracking. Yeah. So um, kind of seeing that kept our relationship, you know, connected and strong. Um, it would would have been like somewhat easy to be like, screw you mom and dad peace out and then you know just distance myself from them because you know they were just just really hard on me but because I was able to kind of sympathize and put in myself in their mindset I was able to stay in relationship with them this entire time and get through you know the dark woods and to hear where we are now we're like you know pretty good buds oh, I love that um I also want to say that the way that you shared your story it was really interesting how it was framed around failing into success rather than taking deliberate steps towards success. Mm -hmm. Could you talk about what failing into success means for you? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think I like, I tried to articulate it that way because it's accessible, right? I think like growing up as a woman of color, or I guess I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't always a woman of color. Technically I was a girl of color and then became a woman of color anyway. So growing up as a person of color and like, you, you don't really see a lot of models, especially when I was growing up, I was like growing up in the nineties. And so a lot of people who are large and in charge were like white and usually white men, white straight men wearing power suits, like having a corporate job. Um, and, uh, you, you know, you don't, when you don't see models, it really honestly like affects you a lot. So, um, that kind of person just always seemed like they were so deliberate and like so intentional and they knew what they want and they went and got it. Right. And I'm like, I'm not that person. Um, I'm very obedient. I'm very nervous about things. I don't feel like I'm like, I'm not going to like suddenly have an amazing idea and be like, let's invent this. Like I would never have the nerve. And so, but I did end up being a person that like owns my own business and does something really, really creative and manages to make a living from that. And I think that's miraculous. And I think it's also miraculous that I was able to do that and not be someone who is large and in charge and like knew what she was going to do and had like this intentionality. It was accidental and it came from just kind of intuition that came from a love of what I was doing and what you know I wanted to create. And it just came from just tiny, tiny, tiny rebellions. Right. And the first rebellion being like, yo, no. I don't think I'm going to go to medical school. And then it just builds on top of that. After that, I was like, no, I don't think I want a nine to five job in a corporation. And then I was like, you know, and this is still like that. Now I'm like, actually now I'm like, no, I don't really want to build websites anymore. You know, just kind of builds and builds until you get to a, a spot where you're just kind of like, I'm doing all the things that I want to do and it's possible. And it was possible through like a lot of tiny incremental steps. It wasn't any big leap, right? You just kind of like, take little stepping stones on the way to, you know, where you want to go. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Agree with that. Um, so Nidhi, so I'm sure that you can relate. Like, how do you kind of cope with your parents, I guess, quote unquote, disapproval? Does it require empathy on your end too? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think having my parents' approval matters more to me than having, um, 
you know, anyone else's approval. I, I really do care um, about my friends um, and, and, you know, other family members and professors and other people in my legal community um, being proud of me and um, impressing them. But the most important thing to me is that my parents are happy, that my parents are confident. And, you know, even like um, how you were saying in front of other family friends and other people in the community and society, whenever my parents would get the question of what is Nithi doing? Um, what is she studying? What is what does she do for work? Um, I just always felt guilty that it wasn't what um, it wasn't something maybe that they could be proud of. It wasn't something that they could hold their head up high and be like, yeah, she's she's doing medicine. She's, she's a doctor now. Um, you know, they could never say those things. And so if I can just like interrupt real quick, I think it's, I still think it's hilarious that, um, you being a lawyer is like the, the disappointing job for your parents. (laughs) It's just wild to me because a lot of like Asian parents would throw a party if their kid was a lawyer. So your parents like have really high standards. Yeah. I think it's also just like in India, what, the perception of a lawyer is it's like someone who argues and someone who uh, goes against the grain and someone who stands up to their parents. <laughs> Not oh, that, yeah. And so that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Do you have other siblings? I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you, but I was, I'm curious. I, actually. So my question is, do you think this is gendered? Like if you were a boy and you were their son become going into law, would it be like, no, that makes sense. Um, but because you're, you're their, their daughter, they're like, Oh, she shouldn't be arguing. I actually have two sisters, um, so an older and a younger. I'm in the middle. And um, my older sister is also in a similar path. She actually worked at the United Nations and is currently studying law as well. <laughs> so we're like a, a like just siblings, um, a family of disappointments, I guess you could say. Like my dad would always say this thing when we were kids, and he would say, because he's a doctor himself. And so he's like, my dream, and he would tell us this as early as like five years old. He'd be like, my dream you know, is that one day I'm going to be standing there and it's going to be Dr. Kumar and Dr. Kumar and Dr. Kumar and Dr. Kumar, just all, all four of us standing together, all doctors. And like, it took so much energy and it took so much, um, trial and error to kind of get through to our dad that like that dream will never come true, but it's not a bad thing. Like we can all have different perspectives. We can all bring different things to the table. And now, um, you know, whenever we go visit our family in India, like our dad is the first one to say that, like, he's so proud of us, that we all have different skills. And so if there's ever a medical emergency in the family, my dad's got this. And if there's ever a legal issue, me and my sister have got this. And, you know, and so that change was something that I never thought I would get, but I'm just so pleased that that happened in the end. Like exactly as you said, it's, it's really important, um, for us, um, you know, to, to have our parents kind of have that like thinking, have that thinking come around of, yes, I, I, I'm not necessarily going to say that we can rewrite history and every single decision we made was super amazing and compelling to them. But in the end, their support of at least, I understand what you're doing, you know, that Mm. means so much. Yeah. And I do think like, I don't know, like, this is me kind of like, you know, spit shining a turd. Um, But I sometimes think that it was really nice that I got that kind of pressure from my parents. So me kind of spinning the situation positively, you know, where um, sometimes I see some of my peers, my friends, um, we're, we're at the age where, you know, we've worked like maybe 10 years in a job. 
And some of us are discovering like, yo, I don't think this is a job for me. And I think like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I have a passion. I don't know if my passion is translatable to a career. I don't know if it should be, you know, really heavy questions. And I'm just so thankful that I actually am devoid of those questions. I am doing exactly what I'd love to do. I'm super passionate about it. Every day is like a freaking gift. I can't believe this is my job. And I think part of why I have this like luxury and this gift is because my parents challenged me so much. And so the entire time I was fighting really hard, you know, I was just like, I had to be really sure that this is what I wanted to do because they made it so hard. I couldn't just flippantly be like, oh, let me, let me try this and see how it goes. I would have to really know because I was so concerned that I was going to prove them right. And I didn't want to prove them right. I, I didn't want them to have like, you know, I didn't want them to, you know, just continue to just feel like, yeah, I just don't want them to write. I, w- I want to be right. So, uh, you know, I wanted to be like, no, this job's going to be worth it. This career is worth it. This is right for me. And I can make, you know, I can make enough money. I can make good money. Because um, that was their thing, you know, because the, the, your dad's a doctor. So he probably like knows a lot about doctoring. And he's like, this career is like, you know, meaningful. And because of this, and he has a lot of details. But my parents is purely a status thing. They're like, then we can call you doctor. Dr. Stacy, that's purely their thing. And, um, and then you could buy a big house and you can have like a car and, um, because like you can get that other ways. It's just about money. So for me, it was always about earning enough money to compensate for not being a doctor and working really hard and really knowing that this is my thing. And, you know, luckily because they were such haters, um, I got really battle tested. And I think a lot of people don't have that as much, you know, sometimes like we try things on a whim and then we just kind of get locked in. Um, and maybe at some point in life, we're like, oh, man, this is not the thing. So in a way, I'm very kind of grateful to my parents for, like, pushing um, against it so hard. Uh, do you feel that way at all? Yeah, I definitely do. I think, um, you know, I, I that's why I do so much. Like, I'm always in so many different buckets. Like, I'm not just focused on get a legal education, get a legal job and call it a day. It's like, how do I, and it's not just overachieving. It's, it's really what you're saying of like testing it out and seeing like how far in this field can I go and how well can I do? And that's to prove that like you do belong there and you, you are good at what you do. And so I got super involved in every aspect of campus life. I was in three different e-boards. I actually got a leadership um, award when I graduated as well from law school because I was doing so much and I had professors and I had um, classmates ask me like, how are, how are you doing this and this and this? And your name is just everywhere. And it wasn't so much about, um, I just want this for my resume. It was, can I do this? Is this something that is, if it's accessible to me, is it possible that I can conquer this too? Is it possible that I can do well here too? And so, um, you know, I definitely relate to that feeling of, you know, just, just trying to figure out what you want to do, but then also trying to be the best at it, trying to not, not the best compared to other people, but the best compared to yourself. Like how well can I do in this arena? And, and yeah, I, I do really thank my parents for that. If they weren't in my ear telling me that, you know, you can only do medicine, do that. It's safe. It's, it's something that can make you successful. Maybe I wouldn't have been this driven to prove them wrong in, in law. So I definitely do relate to that. And I also just want to say that, um, you know, hearing your story, I, it makes me so happy because growing up, I never had, 
anyone like this. I never had anyone to talk to within the culture um, who went against, you know, parental disapproval and who failed and who still made it in the end. Because I would always hear these stories of failure that didn't really feel like failure. Like it would be, um, I failed my first medical exam and then I became a doctor anyways. And that means, I mean, that's great for them that they still made it. But to me, it meant nothing because I'm like, that's not really failure. That's everyone that's expected. That's a learning curve. That's not a failure. And mm-hmm. that's not going against much. So it's it makes my heart so happy to hear your story. I wish I had this growing up. Oh, that's so sweet. Same. I wish I had this growing up too. You know, like when we don't have models, you just feel like you're really just go, grasping around in the dark. And a lot of times it would have been nice to just have like like an aunt or a cool older cousin that was like doing this kind of stuff. But, you know, a lot of my older cousins were not on this path. So I think I'm maybe the only one in my family that has like seriously cut and dry creative career. So it's very, very weird um, for them. Um, one thing that I wanted to kind of like ask you is I think it's really not told, it's not a coincidence whatsoever that you and your sister are both like lawyers, right? Um, do you ever like talk to your parents as your dad is razzing you and be like, dad, like me and my sister are totally both lawyers. Like this is definitely your fault. Like you did this. So I, you would, you should blame yourself and just like lay off of me. I think, I think that's actually really true because both of my parents have always gone against Like, and they never told us. That's the biggest scam is like, they pretended, they gave us this perception of like, we did everything that our parents asked us. We went by the book and you should too. And then after, you know, they kind of were like, oh, you're doing law. Okay. That's okay. Fine. We're on board with that. Then they were like, you know, we also, you know, rebelled a lot when we were kids. We also went against our parents when we were kids. We were the troublemakers of our families when we were kids, as if law is like being a troublemaker. But um, yeah, I think they gave us the voice and that's why we're wired to want to um, debate and want to pursue law. And yeah, I mean, that's that's a great conversation for me to blame on my dad. But I think I think, yeah, it does come from them. Yeah, you should totally try it. Yeah, I, I, really, I, I'm always struck as I kind of like spend more time with my parents and I just kind of become more like uh, on more equal to them, you know, like kind of sometimes I talk to them as like my friends and really understanding like where kind of they, they as people versus them differentiating, not them being my parents. And like, I'll see my dad puttering around in the yard, like building gorgeous things. Like he'll be like, I built a fence today. No big deal. I like created this like entire like watering system. No big deal. Uh, I did the statue. No big deal. Like he's an artist. And um, obviously, like, and then actually, I've seen him paint too. Like, he'll paint watercolor, but just for fun. And I'll be like, holy shit, that looks so fucking good. You're an artist. But obviously, like, you know, his entire life is tragic and war interrupted. Who knows who he could have been if, you know, those kind of things, like, didn't interrupt his trajectory. So, and then, you know, I'll see, like, like echoes of myself and my mom. And they're both also very, like, they never do anything they don't want to do. So my dad is always just like putting his feet in the sand and being like, I refuse to do this because I don't like it. And it's just kind of like, dude, you wonder where I kind of got this personality trait from. This is like 100% your fault. Um, yeah. So sometimes when I kind of recognize those moments, I'm very fond of those moments. I was like, oh, that's nice. It's not my fault. It's their fault. 
<laughs> I love that. I also think it would be a really cool experiment to see if our parents grew up sort of similar to us, like in the United States and with the resources we had available, what would they have wanted to do? Not necessarily what they did, but like, what if your dad was an artist? What if you did want to be an artist? Like, I feel like our parents never talk about that. So that's, that's a very interesting experiment to see. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah, the dude builds houses. So he like, like, he's a builder, he's a maker. um, And he doesn't see himself that way. Very, very interesting. And I also think like, you know, our parents, they work so hard for exactly what we're doing right now for us to be just like leisure and to just like throw all their hard work in their face and to have that option. Right. That's what they worked so hard for. Um, and I th- I understand that sometimes it's just hard to see that. Right. It's really hard to see that you work so hard. So your kids will have, you know, choices and to have autonomy and to have control right over their lives versus their lives being out of control. Um, it's really hard to kind of like have that 30 foot thousand feet view of things sometimes I'm the same way. So I get it. Um, so just kind of in closing, if someone else is listening to this podcast and kind of finds themselves, you know, as a student in, in your same space and, um, you know, in, in being in finding themselves within failure, <laughs> what kind of advice would you give to them of, of how to get through it, how to get out and, and what to expect on the other side? Hmm. Let's see. I think that sometimes failure is such a big concept in our mind, you know, but we can fail really, really small. But we tend to think like failure is big, like failure is devastation. Failure is like, oh, I'm in, I have no money. I'm from poverty. I'm shelterless. But failure could just be like little embarrassing things where like you made a mistake and everyone knows it. Um, and the thing is, like, we, you need to acclimate yourself to that kind of failure, you know, like, ex- like embrace little failures, embrace when you're not 100 percent, embrace when you make mistakes. And, and instead of being like, oh, man, I need to avoid mistakes for, in the future because this feels icky. I think the perspective should be like, oh, my God, that was I learned a lot from that. And the fact that I made a mistake means that I overshot. It means I pushed myself harder than, you know, I didn't play it safe is what that meant. And so my advice would be to chase that feeling, always overshoot, always push yourself beyond what you're capable of. You'll probably oftentimes fall a little bit short, but that's okay because you're going to attempt it again. And the next time you do it, you're going to, you're going to go further. You're going to make it maybe, you know? And then the other thing is like, you know, people think that um, you have to be a certain way to be a person who is like accepting of risk, like, an extroverted person maybe or a brave person or a person that like has a lot of friends and has a big network. Um, but I'm naturally like none of those things, you know, I'm, I don't feel like I embody any of those things. I feel like I'm a very quiet person that is like a homebody that keeps to myself. And, um, all I did was just kind of like employ the first thing, just like small failures, just overshot. I went to an event that I didn't want to go to. I talked to somebody that I thought like, didn't even know who I was, but I was like, you know what? It's fine. Uh, just introduce yourself and just remind them who you are. You know, so these things are just surmountable. So it's just incrementally, um, just don't be kind of this victim of this idea of yourself that you have in your head. You know, you can be different if you want to be different, right? Um, nothing is like blocked off to you. If you want to be a person that like, you know, has a certain like vibe, um, if you want, if you're, for instance, if you're in a technical job and you're like, I'm not a creative person, but I want to be a creative person. 100% you can be a creative person. You are already a creative person probably, but 
you just have to reframe, reframe and like redefine that for yourself and then just find opportunities to be creative. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Stacey, for sharing your story and all of your great advice. Thank you for tuning in to Career Conversations, an audio series created by the University of Washington Alumni Association for the UW Alumni Community and supported by UWAA members. Career Conversations focuses on career topics that go beyond the usual to help you create and sustain a fulfilling work life. This series is one of several programs and events created and supported by the UW Alumni Association to keep alumni, students, and friends connected to the university and to each other. There are many other ways to stay connected and be more involved in your Husky community, including career events and resources. Learn more and become a UWAA member at the UWAA.com. I'm your host, Nidhi Kumar. Thank you for listening. Go dogs. Mm-hmm.